This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, May 2nd. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. Uh, thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time, we are twin brothers that live in Champaign, Illinois. This is a weekly baseball podcast uh, that we do. Uh, second year in existence. 2015 was our first. Uh, so thanks for listening. A lot of uh, good stuff to talk about this week. Paul, how's it going? It is going well. I feel like uh, we kind of reached our high water mark as a podcast last uh, last week. Yeah, I personally heard a ton of great feedback, and I didn't even do the interview. So curious what uh, what's been the last week like for you? Are you a celebrity now? Yeah, uh, Commissioner Manfred gave me a call, <laughs> followed by President Obama. Uh, just kidding. Obviously, uh, it was fun. Yeah, it's fun. To, uh, had a lot of people listen, and. Uh, I, I guess what I appreciated most was the feedback wasn't so much, oh, it was cool you had a major league player on. It was more so, oh, it was really cool to hear from uh, Dan Winkler, uh, hear about his story. So it was more the content rather than just having a player on. So that's what I liked. Yeah, and I appreciated how transparent uh, Winkler was mm-hmm. in the interview. I, I think my favorite part was when he talked about right after the injury, guys like Frank Orr and Pierzynski coming in to the locker room and... Mm-hmm. Just putting the hand on his back, that was a pretty cool uh, thing to hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't often get that like behind-the-scenes picture. So thanks again for, Dan, if you're listening, for, <laughs> for being on last week. We really appreciate it. And like Pete said, we're rooting for you back here in Champaign. Yeah, it was bad timing because the Braves played the Cubs this weekend. So I was torn a lot of times. Do I root for the Cubs to win because I'm a Cubs fan or the Braves because they've had a rough start? I ended up cheering for the Cubs. All right, well, uh, welcome to episode 48 of the podcast. Thanks to Nelly uh, for the intro song. And our Nelly fun fact this week is actually an audio clip. He was on the great ESPN morning radio show, Mike and Mike, uh, to talk about baseball a couple years ago. So we'll just play that clip for you. Joining us here in our studio now is one of the absolute biggest stars in the world of music, and as we've said many times, the best athlete we ever coached. That's exactly oh, right. Man. In a celebrity <laughs> softball game, once upon a time in St. Louis, the one and only Nelly is here. How are you, Nelly? Nice, man. I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Doing well. You're a baseball guy. Yeah, right? love it. Where, St. Where? Louis, how can you not be? Well, and I know you, you live there now. How long did you play? How far up did you play? Um, Well, I played, oh, man, all through high school, summer league. Um, I played St. Louis Amateur Baseball. Association and things like that. Okay, three Grammys. Would you hand them to us for a World Series ring? For a World Series ring? Yeah. Wow. Uh, probably not. Would you give me those three Grammys mm-hmm. to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. definitely. Uh, I, I would buy those three Grammys. You, definitely. you were creative enough to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, definitely. Definitely at that point. All right, so that was Nelly. He would uh, he would trade his Grammys for the Hall of Fame, but not World Series rings. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to think that's a logical choice. Do you see, uh, speaking of morning shows, uh, do you see uh, First Take is No More? 
Or Skip is... Oh, Skip is leaving? Yeah, right after Stephen A. accused Arietta of taking steroids, he uh, lost his uh, running mate. Is this, are you going to throw your hat in the ring to replace Skip? <laughs> I think this show, A Foot in the Box, should throw our, our name to replace. Pretty, uh, pretty hot takey, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so thanks to Nelly for our intro. All right, Paul, what is going on around baseball? Well, the biggest story this past week uh, was D. Gordon mm-hmm. getting suspended, second baseman for Miami Marlins, um, all-star, and not your typical steroids guy. I think that's what caught everyone off guard. Um, you know, he's not a Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa type. Um, he's a singles hitter that steals a lot of bases and plays great defense. And uh, so it caught me by surprise and honestly caught, I say, all of baseball by surprise. Yeah, it was just a really big bummer. I heard the news. A friend texted me. Uh, I think it broke like Friday morning. Um, or that's late, maybe late Thursday. And uh, I was just bummed for a while. Kind of that whole morning I was just like, man, guys need to stop doing this. It sucks because you're not sure. Like him doing this taints everyone else and it allows people like Stephen A. Smith to accuse random guys of taking steroids and you're not sure i mean honestly you're not sure if those guys are taking them or not um so it just sucks and um yeah i guess going a little bit deeper into d gordon last year was his breakout year with the marlins uh won the nl batting title hit 333 and then also had the most steals in all baseball with 58 only 28 years old he is suspended 80 games i read a couple different articles and um jason stark had a good one and he interviewed an executive on Friday, and the executive said, this is the single most bizarre case I've ever come across because he tested positive after signing a $50 million contract. He could have hit 220 and never stolen another base, and he still would have gotten paid for the next five years. Uh, so, yeah, like you were saying, kind of a strange case uh, from a physique standpoint, but also strange in that he just signed his contract. Mm-hmm. This isn't a guy that was trying to get the big money. He had already gotten it. Yeah, and one thing, and I definitely don't want to paint Gordon out as a victim here, but one thing that's been brought up and I think has some merit is the um, how grueling the season is. Yeah, I saw that too. And how maybe um, just the nature of 162 games in, what, 180 days mm-hmm. might be too much and might cause guys to to look for an edge. Uh, sure. And I think, like, uh, Winkler, Dan Winkler even talked about this last week, uh, how when you get in July and August, you know, players just lose their love for the game and they're looking for any way to get through the season. Now, obviously with Gordon, he tested positive in spring training, so that doesn't necessarily apply. But I, I think it's a conversation that needs to happen. And even as a fan, it's nice to have baseball every night, but uh, I wouldn't want that costing players in the long, long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another takeaway was that testing is better. So since February 1st, seven major league players have been busted, and that's as many as all of last year. Um, and some pretty prominent players. Um, with D. Gordon, he's definitely the most prominent, but you also had uh, Mejia with the, the Mets and uh, Chris Cabello with uh, the Blue Jays last week we talked about. So testing seems to be uh, you know, doing better than it used to, uh, which is a bummer because you get more guys suspended, but it's also catching more guys. Uh, another thing, thing that I wanted to mention is just how awkward the timing of this, you know, these cases are early in the year because they tested positive during spring training, but then they appeal it. So they've played several weeks, uh, probably knowing they're going to get suspended and the Mm -hmm. teams know. 
And even for Gordon, he drove in a game tying run an hour before the suspension was released. Yeah. Uh, so just kind of a bizarre thing. And I heard Kershaw was asked about it, and he said that uh, maybe there's something that needs to be worked out with a quicker appeal process or something like that. Yeah, it certainly doesn't do anyone any good when you have like that limbo period. Um, it's nuts that 80 games doesn't seem to be enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another thing Stark pointed out in his article. You have eight guys already getting busted this year, which isn't even close to what the NFL has, but I guess that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, It's still not a ton. But eight guys uh, that said, I'm willing to take the risk of getting suspended for half the season if it means that I, I'm marginally better mm-hmm. player. That's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeff Passan, who has become a podcast staple, he wrote an article about it as well. And I'll just quote straight from him. He says, Gordon had his money when the testing caught him, and that's the most puzzling part of it. What can baseball say to that? What can fans say to that? Only one thing comes to mind. How sad. Uh, so I thought that encompassed a lot. It's just uh, most people were just sad at the news, uh, pretty mm-hmm. bummed out. Uh, whether you're a writer or a player Whatever, you know, role you have in the game, it was just kind of a sad, sad thing with D. Gordon being this fun, exciting player. And uh, he, you know, made a mistake of taking steroids. Yeah, and there could be more. You know, they're talking about, like, these are spring training cases that are just now getting brought um, brought into the light. So over the next couple of weeks, it'll be interesting to see who else is, is nailed. Yep. Uh, but getting into some actual play. Well, I have I have something to lift our spirits. What's that? It's kind of a bummer. Uh, D. Gordon test positive. Uh, going o- uh, outside of our lane here a little bit. A movie review. Thought I might lift our spirits a bit. A, ba- a baseball movie review? No, no, of course not. Eye in the Sky just came out. And on Monday this past week, I went and saw it. And uh, the situation was that I had a free popcorn at the movie theater to use before Thursday. And Monday night was the only night I could use it. And went and saw this movie by myself uh, and didn't really know much about the movie. Knew it had high ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, and I put a lot of stake in that. And it was actually 94% Rotten Tomatoes. I went and saw it. It deserves much higher. Hmm. Uh, 98%, 99% is what I'm saying. Uh, it's an amazing movie. So for everyone out there... I've, I, never, I've never heard of it. I hadn't heard of it either. It's very, very mismarketed, or not marketed at all, I guess. Um, so Eye in the Sky, go see it in your local theater... Uh, by yourself, with your spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it might be, go see it. It's an amazing movie, and uh, it's a thriller. So uh, just be prepared for that going into it. Who's like the marquee actor? Uh, not the marquee, uh, but kind of the main one I knew was uh, Aaron Paul. Jesse from Breaking Bad uh, mm. played a very important role. Uh, there's lots of other famous people, but I don't really know actors' names or actresses' names. So go see it. It's uh, it's a great movie. Appreciate the pick me up. Yep, hopefully everyone's spirits are lifted now. Um, yeah, getting into some some actual play. Uh, the Mets had an awesome week. They won eight in a row before losing today. We're recording this on Sunday. Uh, the Pirates also won six in a row this past week. Another team that's um, catching fire. And uh, Dodgers lost six in a row though. Yep. Yeah, I think the you see a couple divisions where the the top one or two teams seem to be putting some distance in between them and the rest. But then you also have divisions like the NL West where every team is around 500. Yeah, so the uh, every division is going into Sunday was separated by less than a game except the, the NL and AL Central where the Cubs and White Sox both had Chicago three, domination. Three-game leads. 
the Astros and the Yankees uh, have both been pretty terrible. The Astros, I'd say, are, are the most surprising team in baseball, maybe besides the White Sox. Yeah, they're seven and seventeen, um, and they have not played w- well at all. It's not like they're losing close games. They're getting pounded. Their pitching's been brutal, mm-hmm. and uh, they were a pick from a lot of get, a lot of baseball writers to to win the World Series. One interesting nugget I had: the three highest on base percentages uh, so far this year. Paul, you have any guesses for teams? Hmm. I'll go Cubs, Nationals, and the Red Sox. Nope. Uh, Cubs, Cardinals, and the Pirates. Wow! So all three NL Central teams. Pirates are the uh, the highest. Cubs second, and Cardinals third highest. Uh, obviously, that stuff can change just a month into the season. Uh, before we get to our listener email this week, which is a good one, the NFL draft happened this past weekend. Paul and I aren't huge NFL uh, guys, but we do follow it. Three Illinois players were drafted mm-hmm. with uh, Jihad Ward, Clayton Fedulum, and Ted Karras. Three Illinois University of Illinois players were drafted. Uh, so that was cool. That doesn't happen all that often because we have a bad football program. Uh, but it also made it, me realize that the MLB draft is approaching. It's on June 9th, um, and we don't talk about it much on the podcast, so Paul and I thought we'd do some amateur scouting. So there was two potential first-round picks playing Friday night in Champaign with Minnesota uh, playing the hometown Fighting Illini. So we, uh, we set out to do some re- uh, reporting at Illinois Field. So here is that reporting. All right, this is Peter and Paul reporting live from Illinois Field in Champaign, Illinois, where the Illini lost game one of the series against Minnesota, 3-1. to one. Uh, But we are here to watch uh, two potential first-round draft picks, and with the scouting report, I'm going to turn it over to Paul. So, Paul, what you see from Cody Sedlock and Austin Athman? Yeah, I've got the scouting report because Peter actually showed up after uh, Sedlock was done pitching, so not a, not a great scouting performance from Pete. Watch yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, I saw Sedlak pitch uh, two and two-thirds innings. Looked like he was struggling with his command today. I think that might have something to do with the fact that he threw a 1,000 pitches uh, <laughs> last Friday. But, uh, yeah, he, he battled, only gave up three runs, but definitely didn't have his best stuff. Um, in terms of a detailed scouting report, uh, I got nothing for you, but that's my... What pitches does he throw? Uh, I believe he has a fastball with run to the, the arm side. This is all according to Keith Law's report online, and a, uh, a curveball and a slider. But his, uh, his fastball is definitely his best pitch. Yes, and I looked up his stats beforehand while I was still at work. Uh, he's striking out 80 batters and 60 innings this year, so pretty good. And then uh, the Minnesota catcher, Austin Athman, uh, is sitting 400 this year. Don't know his stats today, but what did you see from him? Uh, he actually uh, faced Sedlock for Sedlock's last batter. Struck him out uh, on a 3-2 curveball in the dirt. Um, yeah, good stats, but in that I bet particularly he didn't look the best. Great. So Minnesota fans, sorry we couldn't give you more. But All right, this has been your college baseball report. Send it back to the studio. All right, thanks, Peter, for that report. <laughs> some uh, some great, uh, great scouting there. All right, so that does it for our college baseball wrap-up. Uh, let's move on to our listener email. As a reminder, you can send us emails at afootinthebox at gmail.com. Uh, it's afootinthebox at gmail.com. We would love to uh, answer your question on the podcast. Uh, this question comes from Kiefer in Champaign. 
He says, to what extent is early scheduling affecting our perceptions of how good or bad some teams are this season? On the good side, I'm thinking particularly of the Nationals and Cubs. On the bad side, I have the Braves in mind. Uh, so, Paul, what uh, what do you think of that question? Yeah, it's a great point, Kiefer. Um, you know, it's an important question to keep in mind. Just looking at the Cubs and the national schedules, um, it's uh, possible that both teams have yet to play a team that will finish above 500, and that's with you know the Cubs play the Diamondbacks. So I'd Cardinals. Say, oh, sorry, yeah, Cardinals too. But right around 500 now, and it's honestly what makes it uh, hard to say at this point because you don't know which teams are going to be good mm-hmm. and which teams are going to be bad. But then the Nationals, I, the Marlins are the best team that they've played so far this year. And, yeah, they both had, I think, four series against teams that we went into the year saying are probably tanking. Um, you, so, you said tanking. I said tanking. I said rebuilding. But teams that will finish at least 25 games under 500. Um, so great point. Uh, again, it's hard to do any, like, statistical analysis at this point because you don't know how teams are going to finish. Like, uh, you know, someone may have gone into the year thinking that, you know, 18 games against the White Sox would be – Easy wins when the White Sox are one of the best teams in the American League. Yeah, scheduling questions uh, are much easier to look back, like June, July, August, right. uh, September. You look back and you're like, oh, Cubs are really lucky to play all those teams. But, um, you know, like the Phillies, for instance, they're 14-10 and 10 going into Sunday. That was not expected. Yeah, they just swept the Nationals um, in so, Washington. you know, if they surprise some people and say they're right around 500, uh you know, that changes a lot of people's scheduling outlooks, so it's it's hard to answer those questions. But with the National League being so divided this year, uh, like you are saying, several teams uh, not putting super competitive teams on the field, like the Braves and the Reds and Brewers, uh, Padres, the teams that are doing well right now, I think, uh, for the most part, are beating up on bad teams. Um, but this is something that we uh, we should look at down the road. Yeah, and the Cubs have both the Pirates and the Nationals this next week, so it's not like this will continue on for like all of May mm-hmm. as well. Yep. So thanks Keith, for that question. You can send us emails at a foot in the box at gmail.com. Uh, this week on the podcast, first we are going out of the box. Uh, each of us have an article that we're going to talk about. And then we've got Paul's stat segment. I've got sounds of the game, our baseball profile, which is Jackie Robinson part two. Uh, that's this week. And then we'll finish it out with our normal, uh, bottom of the ninth segments. So first up out of the box, this is Paul, and the article I read uh, this week was a terrific piece by Joe Posnanski of NBC Sports. Uh, the article was entitled Stick to What You Know, uh, and it was about uh, political sports talk gaffes. Um, this past week, in case you missed it, uh, Ted Cruz, Republican presidential um, hopeful, uh, very helpful. Had a an hilarious gaffe um, in Indiana, where he was pretending to be a big basketball fan, and uh, was in a rally in the the gym where most of Hoosiers, the movie Hoosiers, was shot, and he was trying to recreate the scene um, or a scene from Hoosiers. And I think we have the audio of that uh, to play. We're here on the Hickory basketball court, and Bruce who travels with me, Bruce. Ten feet. 
10, it's the same height as it is in New York City and every other place in this country. And there is nothing that Hoosiers cannot do. All right, so, uh, yeah, Ted, if you didn't miss that, said, uh, referred to the basketball hoop as a ring. Um, and, you know, it wouldn't be a huge deal if he wasn't pretending to be a big basketball fan mm-hmm. or recreate a movie he probably had never seen before. So uh, that got Poznanski thinking, what are some other hilarious uh, political sports talk gaffes similar to that? And uh, here are a few of my favorites. I encourage you to go read the article, of course, but... Here are my favorites. Um, in 1999, uh, after Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa had both just had a, a magical season in 98, competing for the home run record, and you know, obviously both of them broke the record, Senator Ted Kennedy from Massachusetts had the honor of introducing them at a White House banquet, and uh, he apparently wasn't a big baseball fan and butchered uh, both their names, and we have the audio of this as well. It's a special pleasure for me to introduce our two home run kings for working families in America, Mike McGuire and Sammy Seusser of the White House. It's a pleasure to introduce them. First of all, our friends. Yeah, so Sammy Seusser and Mike McGuire. Um, Pretty pretty funny. Um, Second favorite one, uh, Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel was on a White Sox telecast a few years ago. And mentioned that he was a Cubs fan growing up. And when asked who his favorite player was or who his favorite play was uh, from his childhood, he said he couldn't remember the specifics, but that involved third baseman Ron Santos catching a line drive one time. So <laughs> I like I think, how yeah, his favorite play is a third baseman. Not only does he say the name wrong, Ron Santo, but uh, it's just him catching a line drive. is his favorite play ever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, funny on multiple levels. Uh, and again, I think my, uh, my big beef with politicians making these errors isn't so much that they don't know much about sports. That's fine. Most people don't know a ton about baseball. Um, it's that they're pretending to know something. Uh, my third favorite from the article, uh, last year, the Astros were up big on the Royals in game four of the ALDS. Looked like they were going to win that first round series. And Texas governor Greg Abbott tweeted out his congratulations for the Astros uh, they, of course, went on to lose that game. Yep. The Royals had a huge comeback, and the Royals won that series and went on to win the World Series. Um, so it probably wasn't Abbott, the governor himself, probably someone on his in his uh, on his team of people, but still a pretty big gaffe. And then finally, my favorite, in April of 2010, President Obama threw out the first pitch at a Nationals game and joined the TV broadcast later in the game. He not only couldn't name... Any White Sox players from his youth, the team that he supposedly had loved, but he also referred uh, to, Misky, to Comiskey Park as the wrong name. Here's the, the audio of that one. We do have to call you out on something, though. What's that? We said earlier you can take the president out of Chicago, but you can't take Chicago out of the president. You <laughs> yeah. had to pull the Sox cap out, didn't you? I, listen, I, the, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I want you know, the Nats to do well. I, I, I love them. It's great for the city, but... You know, I'm a Southside kid, sure. and uh, I've got to make sure that uh, Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't get uh, <laughs> get too angry with me. And having played with the White Sox for a short time, I, I know how the Cubs fans and the White Sox fans go back and forth. Who was one of your favorite White Sox players growing up? You know, uh, I, I 
thought that, uh, you know, the truth is that a lot of the Cubs I like too. Uh, but uh, I did not become a Sox fan until I moved to Chicago because I, uh, you know, I, I was growing up uh, in Hawaii, and so I ended up actually being uh, an Oakland A's fan. But when I moved to Chicago, uh, I was living close to uh, what was then Kaminsky Park. Right. And went to a couple games and just fell in love. And the nice thing about the Sox is it's real blue-collar baseball. Right. You know, we always tease about the Cubs. They, you know, they're up at Wrigley and sipping wine. and <laughs> Playing those day games. Know, playing those day games. They're having a good time. Yeah, so uh, he was called out for not having uh, a single player in mind from his childhood. And I also think that the stereotype he has of the Cubs is uh, a little off as well. <laughs> I've never seen anyone sipping wine uh, in the bleachers. In fact, I think you kind of know what he's talking about, though. A little bit. White Sox, blue collar, Cubs. More, I guess, not wine, but like more fratty, uh, mostly white fans that don't really care how the how the team does. I suppose, but uh, it's interesting that he remembers the owner of the White Sox, Jerry Reinsdorf, but not a single player. Probably speaks to a little bit of the. Nature of politics. I've always had, and this is fascinating, good work, Paul, but uh, I've always had uh, this long shot prediction that Obama eventually will own, take over for Reinsdorf and own the, hmm. be a part of the ownership team of the, the White Sox and the uh, Bulls. Well, it certainly sounds like he wouldn't be as involved in uh, player <laughs> transactions as Reinsdorf is. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that, Paul. Uh, and that article will be linked to in our podcast episode page at afootthemocks.com, just like the one I'm going to talk about. Uh, so my article was from Baseball Prospectus by Michael Bauman, and the title of the article is I Am Gerardish, Gerard, I Am Gerardicious. I think it, it's a play on I Am Judicious, but they added Gerardy in there, so sorry if I'm butcher, butchering that. I Am Gerardicious. Gerardicus. Gerard, I don't know. Probably didn't think too many people would be talking yes, or reading it out loud. Not in, not in the audio form. All right, so uh, Joe Girardi wants to ban the shift. Paul, did you see this? Uh, I saw I didn't read the article, but I saw that he spoke out against the shift. Yep. Uh, so his um, uh, gist of the, his argument is it's an illegal defense, just like basketball. It's supposed to guard your man, guard your spot. Uh, if you were commissioner, uh, they'd be illegal. Um, let's see here. To quote Girardi, I just think the field was built this way for a reason. Two on one side, two on the other. Uh, he is saying this because the Yankees are shifted against more than any other team in 2015. About 30% of the time they were shifted against and uh, sixth most uh, this year as well. So they've got a lot of pull-heavy hitters with Deshera and McCann, A-Rod, uh, Ellsbury might even. Beyond there, I'm not exactly sure what which players are shifted against the most. Uh, but Girardi doesn't like this because the Yankees aren't off to a great start, not hitting well, and the shifts are, um, you know, theoretically hurting their offense. Uh, so Bauman in the article uh, talks about his kind of past with shifts, and he has actually been on the side of Girardi for a long time. Um, and uh, Bauman talks about how he was a Phillies fan, is a Phillies fan, and he didn't like the shift because of uh, Ryan Howard. The team started shifting against Howard. Howard's numbers went way down, and uh, you know Bauman selfishly just didn't like it because of that, and uh, didn't like the aesthetics of it. You hit a rocket to right field uh, for Howard, and it's an out. You know that doesn't seem like it should be, based on uh, baseball history. 
Uh, but Bauman has kind of come around on the idea of shifts and, uh, mostly because it's not illegal. According to the MLB, uh, rule book, uh, the only two positions that, uh, are limited in their range is the pitcher and the catcher. The other seven position players can be anywhere they want as long as they are in fair territory, which is something I didn't know of. Um, so you you can't have a player in foul territory, which... Do you have to have a yeah. catcher? Yeah. You do? You have to have a catcher and a pitcher. Those are the only two you have to have. The other seven you can put anywhere as long as they're in um, fair territory. Because at one point I had thought, running around third in a situation where you can't have a wild pitch because you put someone behind home and throw like all the breaking balls you wanted. Uh, but you can't because you can't have a position player in foul territory. Anyway, so th- that's the rule. So it's not illegal. So teams are taking advantage of it. Even Girardi says, you know, as long as it's legal, I'm going to keep using it, which is a bit hypocritical, uh, but fair, I guess. Um, so Bauman talks about how um, he would, st- if he were commissioner, he still would uh, ban the shift. He would say of the seven remaining fielders outside of the pitcher and catcher, only um, uh, or n- no more than four of those can be on one side of second base. So that's a, kind of an easy way to distinguish the, the shift. Um, so, you know, right side of the field, you could put like the center fielder past second base. And Bauman's reasoning for this is that uh, his ideal form of baseball involves a lot of balls put in play. Uh, so cut down on the strikeouts. Um, balls in play make people run and therefore encourage athleticism. Balls in play involve a lot of uncertainty and are therefore exciting. And as Bauman says, balls in play get more people involved than just the pitcher, catcher, and batter. So with strikeouts increasing higher this year than they were last year, seems to be a um, uh, a trend which can't be um, stopped by Major League Baseball. Strikeouts keep going up. Uh, what can be done? And Bauman says that uh, what they can do to incentivize putting the ball in play is by making defenses uh, worse. Uh, so cutting away shifts. Uh, you know, if you put the ball in play, you have a higher chance of getting on base. And, um, you know, a lot of people talk about how, you know, you, you want to do away with the shift, then just go the other way if you're a hitter or bunt. And uh, Bauman's saying, hey, it's been four or five years since this has been around. Hitters just must not be able to do that. Hitting is so hard that you can't change your swing. Ted Williams didn't change his swing when teams shifted against him uh, way back when. And uh, bunting just must be a really hard thing for for these hitters to do. So he's kind of given up on those things and instead thinks, um, you know, I guess he's come around the argument to think that shifts are okay, but he still would be an advocate of getting rid of them. Yeah, I feel like Mike Moustakas is about the only guy who's, Mm -hmm. like, altered his approach because of shifts and it's actually worked out. Yeah. Even like Rizzo, I've seen him try to bunt, uh, mainly unsuccessfully. And I think bunting is something you need to get a lot of game reps in, and especially if you don't come up, like in the minor leagues, bunting is just something that's really difficult to pick up on uh, against pitchers that are throwing harder than ever. Yeah, I mean, actually, I've never heard that argument before. That sounds like a logical um, uh, solution. You you don't ban shifts entirely, but you just limit. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like up to the manager to use some game theory. Like, do do you take the center fielder shift him a little bit to the left of second and then, you know, shift the infield? Um, or do you shift the out, 
you know, outfielders all over, but keep the infield the same. It's kind of a interesting dynamic to the game. Yeah, I feel like you get the best of both worlds. The people mm-hmm. who I agree with uh, Bauman one hundred percent. I think the most exciting games are games where the ball is constantly in play, not necessarily high scoring, but just you get to see like good defense mm-hmm. um, and like strategy, hit and run. You just get some action on the field. Um, unless you're, if you're at a game, unless you're sitting like where you can see uh, the, the plate, like you know, dead center field, the right behind home plate. It's really hard to watch a pitcher's duel. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So that was out of the box. You can find those articles linked to in the podcast episode page at afootinthebox.com. Next up, we have Paul's stat segment. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that, and the VORPs. When they can put in TWTW and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW is? Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win. Uh, thanks for that clip, Hawk. And uh, that actually reminds me. We have officially named this segment. It's been nameless for, oh, I don't know. Are we going all the way back to last year? Do we have a name for it last year? I don't year? think we did, no. It's been nameless. I for, guess stat of the week was kind of it. Yeah. Well, it's at least been nameless since the beginning of this year, about a month. Uh, we are calling it TWTW after uh, Hawk's famous uh, The Will to Win statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so this will forever be known as TWTW from now on. Uh, and this week, inspired by the NFL draft going on, uh, and as Peter mentioned, we did some uh, amateur scouting. Uh, both scouting of amateurs and <laughs> describing the scouting we were doing. Yep. Inspired by those two things, uh, I wanted to look back over the last 20 years or so and determine uh, the biggest flop of a draft, like the worst draft class in MLB history. And this is uh, its interesting because uh, the Major League draft is much different than, than the NFL draft. If you were to look at the first round of an NFL draft, almost every player – would at least play two to three seasons, uh, and then in the NFL, if not, you know, have a long career. And they, most of them are significant players. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're not star players, but they're all contributors if you're drafting well. Mm-hmm. Where uh, Major League Baseball, you're lucky if two thirds of the first round draft picks turn out to be significant players in Major League Baseball. So, um, with that in mind, let me give you my analysis. Um, 1996. That is incorrect. 1989. No. 1993. 2008. 2003 is the year. And I looked from 1990 until 2005 with the thought being that one's after 2005. You can't really determine yet because guys are still of uh, 160, which is uh, like less than half of what other classes produced. And this is just the first round? Just the first round, yeah. Um, and the best player from that first round, Nick Markakis, who has a career war of 28. Uh, and after that, it gets real real bad. The second best player uh, would have been Aaron Hill who plays for the Brewers now, career war of around... Braves. Or, sorry, Braves. Has Both a, those guys are on the Braves. Yeah, career war of, of 22. John Danks was also in that draft class, but the top five, um, pretty startling. Dillman Young was the number one overall pick. Uh, 
He had a career war of 2.5. Ricky Weeks, second overall, 11.5. And then you have um, a couple guys who barely even made the majors. Kyle Sleeth, Tim Stauffer, and Chris Lebansky. Um, Household names. Yes, and for Cubs, White Sox, and Cards fans listening, Pete, do you have any idea who the Cubs drafted in 2003? Uh, they actually had the sixth overall pick. Well, first I'd like to apologize. Aaron Hill plays for the Brewers. Uh, I got confused because the Cubs played the Brewers and the the Braves this week. I forgive you. Uh, 2003. Um, position player or pitcher? Uh, outfielder. Was that Would that have been Brett Jackson? Ryan Harvey. I've never heard the name before. Sixth overall. Never made the majors. Never made the majors. Uh, Cardinals uh, drafted Derek Barton, who actually ended up Going on to play a few years in the majors uh, for the A's, he had a career war of 9.1, um, had a little over 500 career at-bats. White Sox drafted Brian Anderson, who was kind of a fourth outfielder, good defensively, horrible offensively, and he had a negative war, negative 0.2. Brian Anderson, didn't they give him like the starting job like eight oh, years in a row? Yeah, they tried to give him the start. The White Sox are awful at developing position players. Um yeah, so it just, I mean, the most startling thing about this is that you don't have any guys above 30 career war. And for me, that's kind of the cutoff in terms of being an above average major league player. Um, so, you know, so for example, the year before 2002, that first round had Granky, Fielder, Cole Hamels. So not Hall of Famers, but good players. The year after 2004, you had Verlander, uh, Dustin Pedroia. Uh, 2005, you had McCutcheon, Tulowitzki, Braun. So, uh, you know, again, it, it's it is kind of a crapshoot. You're not guaranteed to to have a future all star, but mm-hmm. you'd expect to see at least three or four of those types of guys. And 2003 was notable because you don't have anyone. I actually went and looked, and uh, there are five all star game appearances amongst those 30 players. Mm-hmm. So, will this be your uh, blog post this week? Your column? Uh, you know, I haven't nailed that down yet. It would be. I'd be interested to see this. Uh, I'm not sure. Was Byron Buxton a uh, first-round pick? Absolutely, yeah. I think he was number one overall. Okay. I know he's been rated the number one prospect for a while. He got sent down this week. Yeah. That's one other thing I wanted to, to note at the beginning that I forgot. Uh, he's been terrible. Uh, let's see here. So in 17 games this season, he's uh, hit 156, and in 49 plate appearances, his strike out 24 times. And was terrible last year as well with the uh, the Twins. So, uh not a, not a good season for Byron. Yeah, baseball perspectives is actually super high on him. They had him as well. One. I think most yeah most prospect rating agencies had him had him that high. Yeah, I think everyone wants him to do well. Like he's <laughs> the type of player that would be super exciting, mm-hmm. you know, fast center fielder, who's you know a five tool guy, but um, something just hasn't clicked for him. Maybe for those guys, we can allow them to take steroids. <laughs> You know, for the good of the game, we're going to allow Byron Bucks to take steroids. All right, well, thanks for that segment, Paul. It's really interesting. Uh, next up, we have Sounds of the Game. Regulators. We regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good, too. But you can't be any geek off the street. Got to be handy with the steal, if you know what I mean, Ernie Keith. Regulators! Mount up. It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Woman, she was on the streets trying to consume some search for the eaves. 
so I can get some phones rolling in my ride. All right, so we're going to switch it up on this week's Sounds of the Game. That is Warren G featuring Nate Dog with two Gs singing right. Regulate. Uh, this week, Paul, did you hear him? Did you hear Warren G sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game? Unfortunately, I did, yeah. That's actually, you know, uh, Arlo's brother, John. That's his one of his favorite songs. It's a, it's a great song. Uh, a feature of the 90s. Uh, 1994 is when uh, that song came out. So, gonna gonna cut the chord on Regulate and then gonna play for you Warren G attempting to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. So here that is. Guest conductor for Take Me Out to the Ball Game, music artist and producer Warren G. The Cubs fans are not having him. Drawing booze. Uh, that was pretty bad. He really recovered after about the first five seconds. Uh, it, was, it was lost. A lost cause. Uh, so that was not good. A disappointment for a fan of Warren G. Everywhere. Uh, usually I give some context for the uh, the announcer. Warren G. I, uh, I googled Warren G. And uh, the Wikipedia page started with this article is about the rapper Warren G. For the U.S. president, see Warren G. Harding. <laughs> uh, so two I won- two I very won- different people. Well, I wonder if Warren G. If you know he created that name uh, to uh, to honor Warren G. Harding, perhaps. <laughs> Warren G. is a rapper from the West Coast, big in the rapper hip hop world in the '90s. Uh, he's born in 1970. Uh, so that was uh, Sounds of the Game. Next up, we have. The Baseball Profile, Jackie Robinson, Part 2. Two weeks ago, we left off Jackie's story in the offseason before the 1947 baseball season. Six days before the season, the Brooklyn Dodgers called Robinson up to the big league team. On April 15, 1947, opening day at Ebbets Field, Jackie Robinson made his major league debut. It was the first time an African-American player had played in a Major League Baseball game since 1880. Robinson started at first base and hit second in the Dodgers lineup. He was 28 years old. Ebbets Field was around 80% full for the game, with roughly 14,000 of the 26,000 attendees being African-American. Jackie failed to get a hit in his debut, but did reach base and score a run as the Dodgers beat the Boston Braves 5-3. to the response to Robinson was mixed, but more to the positive side. Dodgers general manager Branch Rickey knew that two important people could influence the fans' perception of Jackie, broadcaster Red Barber and manager Leo DeRocher. He met with both before the season to try to persuade them to his side. Both men agreed. When several players threatened to demand a trade in spring training if Robinson played, DeRocher held a team meeting and said, quote, I do not care if the guy is yellow or black, or if he has stripes like a zebra. 
I'm the manager of the team, and I say he plays. What's more, I say he can make us all rich. And if any of you cannot use the money, I will see that you are all traded. However, just days before the 1947 season, DeRocher was suspended by National League Commissioner Happy Chandler for his involvement in gambling and an ongoing affair with actress Lorraine Day. Ricky appointed assistant coach Clyde Sukforth as emergency manager. After two games, 62-year-old Bert Schotten took over permanently. Unlike DeRocher, Schotten was calm and quiet. In his first season with the Dodgers, Robinson excelled. In 151 games, Jackie hit .297 with a .383 on base percentage and struck out just 36 times in 701 plate appearances. He also swiped 29 bases. Robinson faced racial, verbal, and physical abuse throughout the season. In one game against the Phillies, the Phillies manager, Ben Chapman, was heard yelling the N-word at Jackie. In a game against the Cardinals, future Hall of Famer Enos Slaughter deliberately stepped on Jackie's ankle on a play at first base. As Branch Rickey instructed him when he first signed, Jackie responded by not doing anything. He won the 1947 MLB Rookie of the Year award, barely edging out the New York Giants 20-game winner Larry Jansen. Behind Robinson and other strong seasons from Pee Wee Reese, Dixie Walker, Bruce Edwards, Pete Reeser, and Carl Perillo, the Dodgers easily won the 18 National League with a record of 94-60. and 60. It matched up with the AL-winning New York Yankees, making for a crosstown showdown. This would be the first of an incredible six World Series matches between the two teams over the next 10 years. Robinson picked up seven hits and 27 at-bats in the seven-game series, which the Yankees won. In a national poll conducted after the season, Robinson was the second most popular American, coming in only behind Bing Crosby. 1948, Jackie's second year in the big leagues, was another successful season. He switched to his more comfortable position of second base. He hit .296 with 12 home runs, but it wasn't enough to carry the Dodgers to the World Series. By that time, many other black players joined Jackie in Major League Baseball. Larry Doby and Satchel Paige both pitched for the Indians. Even the Dodgers had three other black players on the team besides Jackie. Heading into 1949, Jackie was ready to break out. During spring training, he turned to Hall of Famer George Sisler for hitting advice. Sisler, who hit 340 with 2,800 hits in his career, was a Dodgers scout at the time. He taught Jackie how to hit the ball to right field and helped him change his hitting philosophy, looking first for the fastball and adjusting to breaking balls. Robinson responded by raising his average 46 points, going from 296 to 342. He also added in 16 home runs, a 432 on base percentage, 124 RBI, and 37 steals. This earned him the NL Most Valuable Player Award, edging out St. Louis Cardinals greats Stan Musial and Enos Slaughter, who had stepped on his leg in his rookie year. Fans voted for Robinson to start the 1949 All-Star Game, making it the first All-Star Game with black players. In 1949, Buddy Johnson, a black jazz musician, wrote a song called Did You See Jackie Robinson Hit That Ball? That song rose to 13th on the charts. The Dodgers won 97 games, winning their second pennant in three years, but fell again to the Yankees in the World Series. Over the next five seasons, Jackie hit above 300 and had an on-base percentage of over 400 every season. He also made the All-Star team every season. The Dodgers continued their dominant run, winning the pennant twice in that span. However, they lost to the Yankees both times. Robinson began to show the effects of diabetes, which he was not diagnosed with until a year after his retirement. 
Robinson hit just eight home runs in 1955. The Dodgers, however, won the pennant and finally defeated the Yankees in the World Series. It would be the only championship of Jackie's career. The following year, 1956, would be Jackie's last. At the age of 37, Robinson hit 10 homers and had an on-base percentage of .382 in 117 games. His career ended in another World Series defeat to the Yankees. Don Larson pitched a perfect game in Game 5 of that series, the only no-hitter or perfect game in World Series history. After the season, the Dodgers, who were now run by Walter O'Malley and not Branch Rickey, traded Robinson to the New York Giants. Robinson refused to accept the trade and retired instead. Overall, Jackie accumulated 1,518 hits, 137 home runs, and 197 steals in his 10-year career, in which he was an all-star six times. His career 311 batting average ranks 80th all-time, and his career on base percentage of 409 ranks 34th. His 197 steals, 19 of which were of home, led author David Faulkner to coin him as the father of modern-day base stealing. Robinson was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1962 in his first year on the ballot. He was the first black player to be included in the Hall of Fame. Between 1947 and 1956, seven Rookie of the Years and six MVPs in the NL were black. By the time Robinson retired, 51 black players were on the rosters of 16 major league teams, including greats like Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. After his baseball career, Robinson became involved with many different activities. He tried his hand in broadcasting, calling games for ABC's National Game of the Week. He also wrote a column for the New York Daily News for many years. He was active in the business community, becoming vice president of Chuck Full of Nuts, a coffee company in the United States. Lastly, he was also active in politics, mostly as an advocate for Republican efforts. In 1960, he backed Richard Nixon against John F. Kennedy. However, by 1968, Jackie supported Democrat Hubert Humphrey against Nixon. Robinson was a huge supporter of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Although he never took an official role with the baseball team after his retirement, Robinson remained an active voice in the game. He pushed for more black managers and executives to be hired. The year after his death, Frank Robinson would become the first black manager in baseball history. In 1987, both leagues renamed their Rookie of the Year awards to the Jackie Robinson Award. In 1997, MLB announced that the number 42 would be retired for every major league team. This was the first time that any major sports league had done that. Since 2007, every year on April 15th, the day that Jackie made his debut, every player wears the number 42 to honor Robinson. Robinson was diagnosed with diabetes in 1957, the year after he retired from baseball. Along with diabetes, heart disease made Robinson almost blind by the time he reached 50. On October 24, 1972, nine days after he made his last public appearance at the World Series, Robinson died of a heart attack at his home in Connecticut. He was just 53 years old. Robinson's son, Jackie Jr., died in a car accident after struggling with drug abuse for several years. He died one year prior to Jackie's death in 1971. His daughter, Sharon, and youngest son, David, are still alive today, along with Jackie's wife, Rachel, who has done great work in extending Jackie's legacy. All right. I hope you enjoyed the second part of Jackie Robinson's uh, baseball profile. 
uh, just a tremendous human being and um, would encourage everyone to uh, uh, you know read more about him, uh, research him more. As I researched for that baseball profile, I was very much moved by uh, his story and the perseverance that he had uh, through a lot of terrible things. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, moving on now to the bottom of the ninth. Uh, we've got several things to talk about, but first, say my name. Say my name, say my name. Following Prince Fielder last week, uh, going back to the early 1900s for this week's name, Bubbles Hargrave. Nice. Are you familiar with him? I am not. He was born in 1892 and made his major league debut in 1913. He was a catcher and played for the Cubs, Reds, and Yankees over the course of a 17-year career. He won the NL batting title in 1926. Hmm. He hit 353, and this was the first time a catcher had done that in the National League. So he was a good player. He was nicknamed Bubbles. His real name was Eugene because he stuttered when saying uh, B sounds. So it was a condescending nickname. However, I uh, did a little bit of digging, and he is reported um, to have opened a restaurant in downtown Cincinnati after his career called the Bubbles Hargrave Bar and Grill. So he, he embraced it. Uh, yeah. He, well, he's reported to have hated the nickname, but then he opened the bar. He opened the bar and grill. Yeah, which is now uh, it doesn't exist. It's no longer <laughs> the Bubbles Hargrave Bar and Grill. Uh, one last note: his younger brother was also a major league player, uh, also a catcher, and his name was Pinky. So you have Bubbles and Pinky. Nickname or real Nick, name? Uh, nickname. Yes. Pinky Hargrave. Yes. So Bubbles and Pinky Hargrave. Great. Uh, well, thanks for that. My Yahoo Answer of the Week. My question this week, very topical, comes from Yahoo user Minnesotan. Uh, should I try to read this in a Minnesotan accent? That'd be great. I don't think I can. Why do baseball players take steroids if they will get caught and they will lose respect from people? Wow, that is a great question. Subtitle. I mean, people have seen it before. Why take it if it gets you suspended? question was asked around 2009. It's hard to tell. Perhaps uh, Yahoo employee listening could improve their uh, uh, aesthetics there. It's hard to find the date in which these questions were asked. But uh, So around 2009, the question's asked, why do players take steroids if they will get caught and lose respect from fans? Yahoo user Connor says, because they think they can make it past the tests. There are tons of people who say, steroids are stupid, and I definitely wouldn't take them. If they were in the pros, they wouldn't be so sure. People have seen Manny, Bonds, Clemens, Rodriguez. They've seen all the others, too. They've read about how Canseco thinks that about 75% or something like that of major leaguers are on steroids, yet only about 5% have been caught. They think, man, I'll be as good as those guys, and I bet I'll be able to not get caught, too. That's why they take steroids. They're not going to sit there and watch everybody lap them using roids. It's stupid, and they're ruining baseball. I hate the players' union. Wow. it's a good answer from Connor. Uh, it is a question I think we all ask when, uh, when when popular players, at least, or guys that have already made it uh, get caught taking steroids is, you know, why today with all the testing and with all the examples before you, why, why you take steroids. It's almost easier to understand, like, during the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. When it was kind of secretive, didn't have the examples to look at. More players are probably taking them. It's more understandable uh, to do it then, but nowadays, uh, kind of makes you, uh, you know, frustrated, sad, confused as to why guys would do that. Yeah, and I think back to like, 
like school growing up, if you ever cheated on a test or you know, like in small ways, it kind of took away like the joy of doing well on the test. Sure. So I wonder if it's similar for big league players. Like I wonder if they feel less joy over a batting title knowing mm-hmm. that they cheated on. Maybe maybe they can block it out. But I just I remember there were a couple of times where like I cheated on like papers or oh, tests boy. or whatever. Confessions. And whatever, yeah. Uh have and, you come clean? Yeah, I came clean. Yeah. Um but it does would it would State away. Farm think of this if I told them? Did not come up in the interview. You never cheated on anything growing up? I I can't remember an instance where I did. I believe I uh um made you stop taking creatine. <laughs> I don't was that I'm pretty sure it was banned. Oh, it wasn't. So I just made you stop taking it. You because... were really con- I never actually took it, but you saw that I had a container of it and you freaked out. Yeah. Uh yes. Good question. Good thoughts, Paul. Moving on to pick your team. Uh if you're new to the podcast, there's 26 weeks in a baseball season. Uh, Paul and I each week are picking a new team, and their record the next week is added to our record. Can't pick the same team twice; have to pick all 30. Uh, and at the end of the season, the loser team with the or the person with the worst record has to record the opening song, "Batter Up" intro by himself. Uh, we're both pretty terrible uh, musicians, especially rappers, so that would be uh, very humorous. Uh, so that's what's on the line here. That's what's at stake. Uh, Paul, I'm thinking of changing this segment from Pick Your Team to Peter and Paul Should Gamble on Sports because <laughs> we're both killing it. My team this past week was the Rangers, who I believe, looking to see what they did on Sunday here, they were uh, 4-1 and one going into the day. Nah, they lost. So they were 4-2. and two. Uh, your White Sox were five and two, so mm-hmm. a record so far this year. You are sixteen and eight, and I am also sixteen and eight. So same records. Uh, we are both uh, doing pretty well. So who's your team this week, Paul? Taking the Buckos, betting against the Cubs, uh, and I think the Pirates will have a good week. Okay, I'm taking the Astros. Wow. Controversial pick, you know, seven and seventeen going into Sunday. Uh, but I think they're going to turn it around. What I've realized so far with this is you don't necessarily want to look for the team that's hottest. Uh, you want to look for the team that's going to turn it around. And so with the Astros, I think they will do that this week. They have a home series against the Twins to start the week. So taking them. All right, Paul, final thing on the podcast. Uh, we've got our big podcast sponsorship event coming up this next Saturday. Yes. Aruna 5K is an event here in Champaign that both of us are involved with planning for. It's a big community thing. Last year had around 400 runners in the event, raised uh, over $20,000 for the Aruna Project, which raises money and awareness to bring women out of sexual slavery in India, so a, a pretty weighty thing that both of us feel pretty strongly about. This year, we stepped it up. A foot in the box is a big donor. Got on the back of the T-shirt. Uh, so we'll tweet that out when uh, when we get the shirt. Um, our faces are on the back of around 500 race T-shirts around Champagne, so that'll be uh, pretty big advertising for us. Um, but I want to talk about the race. Past years, I haven't run the race because I've been organizing it. This year, I'm running. I assume you're running as well. Uh, I'm actually volunteering. You're not running? 
Uh, I guess I haven't. You can volunteer and run. Yeah, so you're going to do that. And then we're going to race each other. Oh, boy. And uh, I was just, what do you think should be uh, should be on the line there? Hmm. Well, I'm, I've been nursing a bad back, so I want to say something small because I think you'll beat me. I don't know. Um, let's go. Let's say on next week's podcast, the loser, uh, unedited, has to talk for seven minutes. In a row. About baseball, yeah. Like no notes or can you have notes or? Uh, we will take away each other's notes during that section. Uh, all right. Seven minutes, okay? I mean, it's going to be me. Seven minutes, because that's going to be my pace when I slaughter you per mile. I think last year my pace was honestly like nine minutes, so I'm not a great distance guy. All right, so it's on. We are taking the opposite approach of most podcasts, which get sponsors on their podcast. you got to spend money to make money. <laughs> we are. Spend money to make money. Yeah, which reminds me, if you're out there and you'd like to uh, have a 30-second ad on our podcast. No, more than that, if you want to sponsor us in running the Aruna race. Yeah, yes. Arunaproject.com, find the champagne race, give some money to a great cause. We don't want your money. All right. Well, that does it for this week's podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. We would appreciate you leaving us a review there. Rating our podcast helps get the word out to more people. You can send us emails at a foot in the box at gmail.com. That's a foot in the box at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at a foot in the box. Uh, that's, you'll get the, the up to date race times there to know who, who won the big race. So make sure to follow us there. A foot in the box. Check us out online at a foot in the box.com. That is where Paul's very controversial weekly column can be found. Stirs the pot every week. I always enjoy reading that. You can also find old episodes of the podcast there, including Daniel Winkler's interview we did last week. If you haven't checked that out, would encourage you to do that. I think that's it. Paul, you got anything else? Just a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you next week. Hit that ball And when he swung his bat The crowd went wild Because he knocked that ball A solid mile Yeah, boy Yes, yes, Jackie Hit that ball Satchel Page is mellow So is Caponello Newcomb and Dobie, too But it's a natural fact when Jackie comes to bat, the other team is through. Did you see Jackie Robinson hit that ball? Did he hit it? Yes! And that ain't all. He's so old! Yes, yes, Jackie's real gone.